Let's turn to our, our series this morning in Romans chapter 13, which is all about reading Romans backwards. And we've been looking at, at how Romans becomes very different when you start at the end and work forward. And usually what happens is people get very involved in the theology of the first eight chapters in particular. And, and they fail to actually get into the, the concrete, practical outworking of what Paul's talking about, particularly in these latter chapters. And, and so what we've been trying to do is read it backwards so we understand that Romans wasn't written as a kind of ethereal theological treatise that was kind of removed from any context, but it was written into a very specific context. It was written into a context where there were two effective congregations and Paul was trying to bring them together. Uh, two congregations that were separated by almost five years because the Jewish contingent within that congregation had been expelled from Rome. Actually because the Christians had been fighting with one another to such an extent that it had become a civic problem. I mean, can you imagine the degree of, you know, everybody has this idealized image of, oh, let's go back to the early church. It was so wonderful. <laughs> I don't know many churches where people are fighting so badly that it becomes a problem for the civil authorities, but that was the case in Rome. And so Paul wrote this letter to try and resolve some of this conflict within the Christian community. And in, in chapters 12 and 13, we see Paul really dealing with the issue of our obligations to one another and our obligations to the wider community. See, Paul doesn't just shut down and focus on the church community. He also calls the church to mission. And, and chapters 12 and 13 is, is a bit about calling the church to embody a series of values and then to live those out actually in the world and in the community around them. And, and so that's what's happening here in chapters 12 and 13. And, uh, and it's so important to do that. Uh, Ruth uh, Williamson passed away and, uh, and her, she was one of our longest standing members in, in terms of this, the church. And uh, I believe her husband, Island was the church secretary in the 1950s. And Ruth was, I think, a member of the church from the earliest time you could become a member. And, uh, and, and so we're integral. And it, it was interesting just talking to their son, uh, Ruth's son, and, and just talking about the church. And he was saying, yeah, I remember. And this is totally true of Ruth and Islin and the way that they used to invite people every Sunday around to the house for dinner and and they said as children that's what we remember just the people coming from the church and 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 anyone who knows their ministry particularly to foreign students they had such a heart particularly african students for african students and so many african students were touched in terms of their ministry and and it was a brilliant example of of christian values kind of spilling over out into community and community impact. And here Paul, as we go into Romans chapter 13, is developing this kind of image. And, and chapter 12, he sets out a whole series of values that should mark the life and interactions of the Christian community. And then he moves into how that interaction should work itself out 
in relation to the wider society. And, and there are basically four strategies that he lays out in relation to outsiders. And we're going to look at three of them this morning. Uh, and, and next week, uh, I'm, I'm not here, but uh, David Gordon's going to be looking at the, the one in chapter 12 as well and, uh, and the other interactions within the church community. So the first strategy was to bless them. Don't, don't seek revenge, don't get embittered by the society, but actually look to bless the society. And then he says, and this is where Romans 13 comes in about government authorities, he says respect and work with them. So the second thing is to respect and work with the society that is around you. So bless them, respect and work with them. And then thirdly, to love them, to love the society around you. And, and, and he, he quotes, he actually goes to Leviticus 19. I'd, I'd sent the, uh, the, the wrong passage. Uh, we had ended up with Leviticus 13 this morning. And uh, thankfully, the reader wondered what skin diseases had to do with Romans 13. I was like, mm, not a lot. Anyway, uh, but, but, but that injunction to love your neighbor actually surprisingly comes from the middle of Leviticus, Leviticus 19, love your neighbor, which is all about how we are to act within community and love being this foundational value. And then lastly, he says, be an example for them in the way that you choose to live. So I want to look at these three strategies that Paul lays out in relation to outsiders. Respect and work with them, love them, and be an example to them. Paul in Romans 13 begins with, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, people lift this text often out of its context and, and turn it into something else. And so it becomes a big theological debate about the relationship of the church to the state and what is the nature of the state. But in Paul's context, it's all about living out being the church of Jesus Christ within community. It's all about being a blessing to the community. And, and so it's part of this theme of peace with the empire and peace with one another that he develops in these latter cha chapters. And he's looking at how Christians should show love to those around them and those outside of the church community. And he says the way that we do this is we respect the community and its authorities around us. Now, the outworking of this has created lots and lots of issues. And uh, I remember as a young theological student, we would spend hours discussing what does this mean and what are the parameters of respect for a government. A conservative view, let's go to the next slide, a conservative interpretation said God appoints and acts through authority. You, you'll notice that in verse 2, he talks about the authorities, the government is instituted by God. And, and then in two verses, he talks about them as God's servant. Verse 6 and verse 4. And they have been ordained by God to be his servants. And, uh, and this has been the traditional Christian view of government. That they are ordained by God to be his servants. If you know anything about Scottish history, you'll know that actually just a couple of hundred yards up the road in the Stirling Castle, 
there were a lot of essays written about the nature of divine kingship and about what it meant for the king to be appointed by God and what it meant for his subjects to obey him. And uh, the, the, the ministers and theologians were writing tracts which were kind of more radical in interpretation, while the king, strangely enough, was writing tracts which say, I'm appointed by God and so you should just obey me. And if you don't, you're not only in rebellion against me, you're in rebellion against God. And some people have used Romans 13 in this way. And, uh, and the, 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 the thought is that maybe Paul was advocating this because he was afraid that the church was going to be crushed by the empire. And, and so what he was saying was, just go along with everything, be quiet, just don't cause trouble, and that way you won't come to the notice of the authorities. And, and that's how they think. Paul is teaching this, but again, it doesn't fit in with the context, which is how we bless our society. The other option is a more radical interpretation, which is what uh, people, the, the, the James VI, who lived up the road, uh, was taught by a guy called Hamilton, uh, George Hamilton. He was his instructor, and this was his view, strangely enough. And um, the minute King uh, James VI got away from his instructor and moved to London, he immediately changed to the more conservative view, but this was his instructor's view. Government is appointed by God to do a job. Failure to do this a job allows for the people to remove them. And the principle is that, and, and so what Romans 13 is saying, God has appointed the government to do these things, to maintain law and order, to be disincentive to those who are evil and do wrong within our society, and to encourage good and appropriate behavior. Uh, we have people within our church that are involved in policing. Um, we regularly have conversations about, you know, what is the nature of policing today? Sometimes, and I have to be honest, and this may reflect where I come from, but I fear for some of the policing that I see happening within our community and our society. Because it seems to me that sometimes those who do evil are not rebuked are appropriately corrected, and those who do good seem to be increasingly in the firing line. And, and, and there's something happening within our society, and that's worrying, and that's all to do with government and values. And, and, and certainly Paul's vision of government is that it should be doing something else. And, and of course, we have Acts chapter 5, verse 29, which says, as Christians, we must obey God, not human statutes. And, uh, and so this idea that our allegiance has to be to God. When I was studying theology in the 80s, there was a movement called Liberation Theology in Central America. And, uh, and actually, I studied with some Catholic priests who used to do Bible studies with Christian terrorist groups, or so-called terrorist groups, they called themselves freedom fighters, in Central America, who were fighting an oppressive, dictatorial, fascist regimes in the name of Jesus, and were doing Bible studies and saying, look, Exodus is all about liberation from the oppressor. Our government is oppressing us, so we work towards its liberation. And that's the traditional discussion that goes on in terms of Romans 13. What's it saying? Is it saying that we obey the government no matter what? Or is it saying that we 
have the right of insurrection, and if the government fails to function the way God has called the government to function, we have the right to protest. I'll let you work that one out for yourself in terms of what Paul's saying there. I don't want to spoil all your fun at Bible studies. And, uh, but, but in the context, if we go back to the context of what Paul's saying, remember, it's this idea of blessing people. And so what he's saying is, church, you have to be a blessing to government. And I think what he's saying is, he's saying, you have to work with them. That's why paying taxes is kind of there. He's saying, you know, part of being a responsible citizen is benevolence towards your community and society. And, and actually, that involves taxation. And, uh, and again, I know tax at the moment is a topical subject. We better not go too far into this. But, but, but you know, most taxes are used for a redistribution within our communities and our society, most taxes. And, uh, and so they're used for good purposes. And, and, and Paul's kind of saying, and again, this probably wasn't necessarily wholly true in the first century context he's writing on, but Paul's saying nonetheless, work with the government. You see, I think what Paul's saying is, he's saying to the Christians, don't withdraw into a holy huddle. Um, it's very tempting for us, particularly when society seems difficult, when political realities are confused, when we feel antagonistic or upset with our government authorities, to just kind of withdraw from it all and turn introspectively and kind of say, you know what? It's all evil out there. The government's evil. Our town council are evil. The way that they operate is all evil. And we will have nothing to do with it. And then we can set up our self-righteous little holy huddles and go, I'm glad we're not polluted by the world. You ever, you ever seen this? No, okay, good. <laughs> but you know that, and, and it, it's, it feels warm. Hey, we're self-righteous. We're not polluted. We are, we're not involved. And, and, and what Paul, I think, is saying here is he's saying to the church, bless your society by being involved with them. I was talking last week about something I saw um, that was sent through, which was how can you help us rebuild our community? How can you help rebuild our society post-COVID? And what does that mean? And as Christians, I think what Paul's saying, he's saying, guys, understand that you are called to be part of your community. You're called to work with your authorities that are there because actually God works through those authorities as well. Sometimes we think that God can't work through secular authority or secular means, but actually God can. Um, we, we at the moment up at the, the top of the town in the Haven have council workers working out of our building and um, they're they're engaging with people, they're supporting people, they're making a life-changing difference to them. And they're using our building, they're working it all effectively as part of our teams and supported by our teams. And, and, and amazing things are happening. Now we could go, they're not proper Christians. You know, although some of them have come along to the church and they're, they're very keen in terms of what we're doing because they're not proper Christians. How can that be Christian witness? How can we be working with the council? <laughs> they're corrupt. I don't even know what 
Are they SNP or Labour or whatever? <laughs> oh, I think a combination, aren't they? That's even worse. And then, uh, so it's like, what are we doing? What are we doing with these people? And, and, and actually, we miss it. We miss that God can work through the institutions that are set up. And he invites us as a church not to withdraw, but to engage in the social fabric. And that's what he's saying when he's talking about our taxes. He's saying, work with your community to make a difference and transform community. And this is part of the strategy of the Church of Jesus Christ in dealing with. You know, one of the things that SBC, and I hope particularly as we move away from COVID and we, we rebuild that we never lose, is that we are an outward-looking church. You know, and I, I refuse to go introspective, and it's easy to go introspective. Uh, but I refuse to go introspective because we are a church that says our community matters. And, and we used to have a brilliant phrase in a, a vision statement, which was that our effectiveness to the community will be evaluated by the community itself. So the community looks at what SBC does and they say, you know what? They make such a difference. Sometime we should get some of the letters that we get from, again, outside secular authorities about the work and the difference that we make. It's phenomenal. So Paul here is, our first strategy is not to withdraw into a holy huddle, but to work with the secular authorities in accomplishing God's purposes for our community. That's the first thing that he suggests. Then secondly, he goes on and he says, don't owe anyone anything except the debt of love. All commandments are summed up in love. Now, again, we, we think of love of neighbor and we think of love as the principal attribute that is to mark the relationships within the church community. And it is, and you'll see next week as we look at the list, that's the essence of what Paul is talking about in the way that we interact with one another. All commandments are summed up in love. Yet here, Paul talks about love not in relation to the Christian community, but in relation to those outside of the community. You know, you'll walk out of here, you'll probably walk up Friars Wine, I'll walk up there most days, and you will see people sitting begging at, at the, you know, the side of the road. And I know people respond in different ways to those beggars. And, and, you know, and again, there are rights and wrongs about how best do we address the, the poor and the marginalized. But you know what? We're called to love that person. We're not called to walk past them and despise that person. You might not give them money for other reasons, but we're called to love. That person matters to God. You know, they, they are valuable to God. And Paul says the Christian community is called to love those outside of it. And, and, and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he goes to Leviticus 19 and he's saying, this is what this is describing. He's suggesting that Leviticus is actually a model, not just for the life of the church, but, but a theocratic model of society where love drives social relationships. And, and he says, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And there's been a lot of talk about as yourself. So, some people turned this into a kind of modern 
narcissistic philosophy, which was you have to love yourself so you can love others, okay? And uh, I'm sure maybe you've heard that teaching. And, uh, but that's not what Paul is thinking of when he talks about this. He's saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. What he's saying is, that guy who is homeless, sitting there or probably because he's got addiction issues or whatever, it's not just his problem. It's your problem. He's saying when you watch what's happening in our communities, and, and we're already starting to hear stories in, in terms of um, you know, working poverty and, and, and what's happening in terms of the cost of living crisis. Do you know, that isn't just somebody else's problem. That's our problem. You know, as much as any agency talking about these things, we need to be talking about these things. How do we help people? How do we help people in terms of mental health issues? Massive, massive. I, I mean, I think we've only seen the, 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 the tip of the iceberg in terms of what mental has happened in terms of mental health, in terms of COVID and what happened to people through that period. You know, it is devastating what is out there. And again, we're encountering this pastorally. One of the, the visions for next door. And again, the realization of that is, is that we, we, we're renaming the building the Life Center. And we're renaming it the Life Center because we want to bring wholeness and healing and refreshing to people. And looking at what that means, particularly in terms of the areas of mental health and wholeness and well-being. And actually pursuing this. I, I was uh, having a chat. I've had the joy of having my daughter and grandson staying with me. That's why I look sleep deprived. No, I always look like that. Anyway, um, the, um, but, but, you know, chatting to them. And, and I was amazed uh, because in their companies and what they're part of, there's, there's all this activity to look after the well-being of the workers in, in a way that seems very alien to me. But actually, the, the, the employers are concerned about the well-being. You know, it's, this is not just making money, but the well-being of our people. And it's the same for us as a church, the well-being of our community. Not just how's SBC doing and how are we getting on, but how's our community getting on? And what are we doing in relation to this? And that is what love looks like. Love looks like it's not just their problem, it's our problem. And as a church, we have to be grappling in the midst of our own problems, and I know we have problems, but in the midst of our own problems, it's, Lord, what is the higher and bigger calling in terms of our community? Third element, then, that he goes on to talk about is, he, he then says uh, that we are to be an example. So we have to work and respect the authorities. We have to uh, love those outside of the community. And thirdly, we have to be an example to those outside. And, and, um, and this call to be an example is set in the context of what we call salvation history. And you'll hear more about this in a couple, two or three weeks time as we look, turn towards Romans 9 through 11. We'll probably only get Romans 11 done. But, um, but, but, but Paul wants us to understand that history is moving towards something and that God is at work. And, and at the moment, you know, goodness knows what's going on in our world and what we're facing and all of the issues and things. And, and 
Paul was facing a similar situation in his own world with many, many issues surrounding him in that. And he's saying, we know that we are moving towards an end point. He makes the brilliant observation that we're closer to the coming of Jesus now <laughs> than we were 10 years ago. And, uh, and believe it or not, we're much closer to the coming of Jesus now than we are at Paul's time. Jesus is coming back. This is what he's saying. And he says, we understand this. He uses the word time, but it means this age. He understand, we understand that we are in a critical period for our world. And, and he's saying, out of that understanding of this critical period for our world, we have to act and be an example. What, what he's saying is, you know what is coming, and you need to be preparing for it. Uh, you, you'll probably, don't know how you're all getting on with energy crises and things, but you'll probably be like us. So if, every time you switch on the heat, and it's like... <sighs> 15 minutes, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, we can take off the jacket now for a minute and then put it back on again. And, you know, we're, we're, we're all terrified. Why, why are we terrified? Because we know what's coming, the bills. And we're like, oh, oh what's going to be in the bills? And, and so it's shaping our behaviors now. See, it's shaping it because we've got this anticipation of what's happening. What Paul is saying is the church of Jesus Christ needs to be like this. Because we're anticipating what's coming. And he says, because we're anticipating what's coming, we have to be prepared for it. And, and he uses the illustration. He, 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 I don't think he was thinking of getting dressed for a dance, but it wouldn't be inappropriate. But he's saying, you have to take off the clothing of darkness. You know, you're kind of hanging around in your sports, in your tracksuit or whatever, your tracky bottoms at home, and get dressed up and ready because the light is coming, the dawn is coming. And, and therefore, you have to be an example. And, and, and he actually gives us a list of six things. And, uh, and, and the first couple are based, in fact, they all are about wasting time. He's saying, because Christ is coming, you need to be making sure that you are not wasting time in your life. And, and he gives us a series of illustrations of wasting time, time wasting. First of all, through parting. Now again, people read this and think Paul's against parting. I'm not sure Paul was against parting or not. Jesus certainly wasn't. But what he's saying is, you know, you can spend your life pursuing some kind of hedonistic high. And you can live your life trying to get the next happy feeling, the next happy hit, you know, whether that comes from alcohol or whether that comes from, uh, you know, riotous living or whatever it is. He's saying you are wasting your time. You have been given a life to live for God and you are wasting your time by pursuing that. That's the first two. The second two, unfortunately, our translations have opted to interpret them in terms of sexuality. But the word that's translated sexual immorality there is not the word that Paul normally uses for sexual immorality. The word he normally uses for sexual immorality is the word pornea. He doesn't use that word here. He uses the word bed. And, and I actually think if you look closely, I think what he's saying is, he's saying, don't hang out in bed. <laughs> he's, he's saying just lying around. Don't just sit around doing nothing. And, and, and this kind of uh, 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 
a wasted life that actually you don't realize there is so much to do before Christ's return. And you're just hanging around, oh, you know, I'm taking a vegetative state day, but it's turned into a week and now a month and a year. And it's like, no. You know, we're called to make a difference. And thirdly, he says, don't waste your time with power struggles. He talks about petty envies and jealousies. And he's saying, wasting your time fighting over stuff that you should not be fighting over because the day of the Lord is coming and you need to clothe yourself with the light in order to combat the darkness now. And he's saying, the mentality that we have as a church community about how we use our lives will influence the wider community. If we turn in on ourselves and say our lives are all about me or they're all about spending my life to seek some high or spending my life in bed or spending my life engaging in some petty power struggles, then he says you will waste the life God has given you to make a difference. A difference who? To those outside of the church community. You will fail to love them as you love yourself and you will be so wrapped up in your own issues that you'll stop seeing that their issues are our issues. And when you do that, because you're wrapped up with your issues, you'll actually just withdraw into a little holy huddle where you'll sit there and going, I like you and you like me, aren't we happy? And the world outside is nasty and bad. Let's have nothing to do with it. Let's never get involved with it because they'll pollute us and contaminate us. And Paul says, that's not what Jesus died for. That's not what you're called to as you return to Rome and as you live out being the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the challenge of these words. Lord, I thank you that we move towards your return, that we move towards the dawn. Lord, we recognize that there is darkness around us. We recognize that there are many issues. We recognize issues in government. We recognize issues in society. We recognize issues in our own lives, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that in the midst of these things, we will not waste our lives. Lord, I pray that we will understand that wherever we are in life, that time is short and time is valuable. And that we are called to live our lives in a way that blesses and reflect your love for others. Lord, help us as a church to have people say, this church really does care about its community. This church really does care about those that are outside of its walls. This church really does demonstrate a love like they love themselves. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen.